Hey guys, welcome to episode 135 of A True Crime Couple. I'm Kay. And I'm John. We hope you're all doing well, and we just wanted to start off the show by saying thank you. We have had a lot of new reviews, followers on Instagram and Twitter, and, you know, people just listening to us for the first time, and we want to thank everyone who took part in any of that. It helps us tremendously. Sometimes, if you're not like a comedy or lighthearted true crime podcast, it's really hard to get yourself out there. So thank you for listening and spreading the word. It's not always easy being indie, you know? <laughs> no, it's not. And I think that, you know, because of you guys, I mean, we have done incredibly well over the last five years because of word of mouth. So please keep it up. And uh, yeah, we and love just you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we're also getting closer and closer to our Patreon goal of 1000 patrons, which Right now, like as of the time of this recording, we're one person away from 600 subscribers and we're super pumped about that because, you know, we've come a long way since our my mom was our first Patreon supporter in so true, uh, right? 2017. So we just want to thank you all and we just want to get closer and closer to our goal. So if you're new to Patreon, we're going to give you a shout out at the end of the episode and if you want to join our Patreon page and get two bonus episodes a month, you can do that at patreon.com slash true crime couple. Okay, I'm all done now. <laughs> you sure? Yeah, that was all it. Right. So, John, are you ready to hear something crazy? Oh, of course I am. I got my peppermint tea. I'm ready. Let's go. <laughs> John's feeling a little nauseous today, so I made him peppermint tea, which I spilled all over my finger. So Yeah, that was brutal. Yes. Are you okay? I'm Lost a few layers of skin, right, but you're, I'm you're glad you're okay. Yeah, you're a trooper, and I appreciate you helping me out. <laughs> so on June 15th, 2009, Joanne Witt failed to show up for her job at a local transportation company, something that was really uncharacteristic for the single mother. Out of concern, her employer is going to call California's El Dorado County Sheriff's Department and request that they perform a welfare check on the 47-year-old. They also called Joanne's parents, who they knew were really involved in her life, to see if maybe they knew where she was or what was going on. So they stated that they had no clue why she wouldn't be at work. And because this also made them feel concerned, they left for their daughter's house and met the sheriff's deputies there. When Joanne's parents, Norb and Judy, arrived at their daughter's beautiful home in El Dorado Hills, they saw that law enforcement was already at the scene. Joanne's car was in the garage, something they could see through the window, and the deputies were knocking on the door, but they weren't receiving an answer. Norb had a key to the house, and fearing that maybe Joanne had fallen as she had a bad back and lupus, or that something else was wrong, the elderly couple and the deputies agreed that maybe it was best if they used the key and went in the house. What greeted them when they walked in was a typical home. Well, the home of a single, hardworking mother with a teenage daughter. So things were everywhere, but nothing looked upended or as if there had been a struggle, which made the couple, and I'm sure the deputies, breathe a little bit easier. The couple noted that the only thing that seemed off about the house was that it was so cold. Yes, their daughter would keep the AC on. I mean, it was June, but she would never keep it that low. As they went to lower the thermostat, the deputies told the couple that they were going to do a sweep of the house to see if their daughter was home. That was when the routine welfare check would turn into a murder investigation. Because in the master bedroom, they found Joanne on her bed. It was obvious that she had been murdered. 
She had what looked like multiple stab wounds on her face, neck, and arms. Blood covered her body and the sheets beneath her. The deputies reported their findings immediately and moved quickly to get the wits out of the home so they wouldn't have to see their daughter that way and to preserve the crime scene. It was obvious someone had murdered Joanne and lowered the temperature of the home to slow the decomposition of her body so no smells would emanate from the home. But as they waited for backup, detectives, and a crime scene team to come in, they were left wondering, if Joanne is dead, where's her daughter? Police say the suspect, 31-year-old Jeffrey Dahmer, has confessed to the killings of 11 people whose remains were found in his apartment. We are all evil in some form or another. Are we not? Lock your doors, lock your windows. If you have the ability to provide additional security devices, then by all means do so. Detectives that arrived at the scene were familiar with the Witt family. There had been a lot going on between Joanne and her 14-year-old daughter, Tyler. In fact, just the day before, they had opened an investigation on behalf of Joanne Witt. But to understand the relationship between Joanne and her daughter, we have to go back to May of 2000, when, I would say this is kind of the beginning of everything. Joanne Witt was a very intelligent woman who worked as a civil engineer. She was financially capable of being a single mother. However, she found it hard physically and emotionally. Now, we're unaware of the actual situation, so I don't want to speak too much on it. I mean, we have the account of Joanne's mother and the teacher that is going to end up doing the reporting. So um, we don't know what happened from the perspective of Tyler and from the perspective of Joanne necessarily. But all the same, it's good that action was taken because this was a highly inappropriate situation. So when Tyler was five years old, Joanne was getting ready to take her to preschool. And an incident took place in the car that resulted in Joanne hitting her daughter. And the incident was brutal. So this is something that you don't like to hear about. Fast forward about 15 seconds. Um, Joanne had flown into a rage over something that her five-year-old daughter had done. I mean, what can a five-year-old daughter do to make you this upset? But she pulled over the car, pulled her out of the vehicle, and beat her with a belt and slapped her. Really? Yeah. Oh, my God. So when Tyler showed up at preschool, her teachers saw that she had been physically assaulted. Yeah. And they are going to report the incident to Child Protective Services, who in turn did act and took Tyler away from her mother, and they put her in the care of her grandparents. Joanne's parents, the ones that I mentioned before. Well, you know what? I mean, look, it's nice to see. It's really refreshing, actually, to see um, a daycare center or school take action if they see something. I mean, if it's really, I mean, it's it. I mean, no matter what, in any capacity, I mean, to have uh, what you get physically see it on a child is not good at all. So I'm glad it actually got to that point. You know, maybe something's going on with her that she needs to take care of. But uh, yeah, I mean, the school, like you're definitely you're a mandated reporter. So you have to report the abuse that you see. And it was clearly evident in this case. What I think is good is that there was action from Child Protective Services because sometimes we don't see that. But this was an incident that was just so blatantly horrific that they are going to act. 
So for about six months, Tyler's going to live with her grandparents. Now, according to her parents, Joanne was ashamed and felt very guilty for what had taken place. She was also dedicated to doing whatever it took to get custody of her daughter back. She attended court-ordered anger management and parenting classes. And in six months, the family courts of California deemed that Joanne was a fit parent and that Tyler could go back to live with her mother on a probationary time period. So they, of course, would be checking in and making sure that everything was okay. Once that time period was over, their living arrangements would be reevaluated. But when it came time to go with her mother, Tyler had been apprehensive. So Joanne did really the only thing she knew how. She bought a lot of gifts for her daughter because the one thing she did have as a civil engineer was money. So in order to make up for what she did, she gave her daughter a lot of things. I mean, I feel like that's the only thing she can do. I mean, how old is this child now? Uh, six at this point? Maybe five or six. I mean, okay. six months past. I don't know when. All right. So her birthday five was. or six years old. Of course, she's apprehensive. I mean, you got to think she was beaten by her mom so severely that Child Protective Services got involved. Yeah. And then, you know, that's so that's the last thing she can remember about her mom. Now she's with her grandparents. That's a hard transition. You have this kid floating between two homes now. I mean, it is nice that she did what she had to do that was demanded by the court. Don't get me wrong. That's good. But to have this kid now go back and forth, I think that could be a little confusing and challenging for a young uh, child to go through. 100%. And I think that she was nervous to leave the home of her grandparents because she knew that, you know, she was safe there. It's hard for a child at five years old to comprehend what they could have ever done to warrant that degree of abuse because nothing does. Right. And this is where things are going to get a little complicated. Okay. Okay. There'll be times when I'm telling you guys this story, listeners, John, just go with me. Okay. I'm always going to be like, okay, what are you doing? You're kind of being a little (laughs) weird here. You're taking a weird side. Just listen. I'm on board. Now, children are very smart. And sometimes they can read situations that the adults around them don't necessarily know that they're able to comprehend. And that's what I think happened here with Tyler. She began to realize that she could get things from her mother and sometimes use it to her advantage. Those in the family would say that sometimes Tyler would manipulate her mother into making her feel guilty about her past mistake if she ever wanted something. And as she got older, it got worse. There had been times that Tyler threatened to tell child services that Joanne had begun hitting her again if she didn't buy what she wanted. Okay, so it's created this slippery slope now. Yeah. And I do believe that a child has the ability to figure out, listen, I can gain things by (laughs) saying really bad things like that. Yeah. You know. It happens on a small scale where it's just like, I know if I throw a temper tantrum, I'll get my way. Right, of course. And this is a little bit of a larger scale and it's a little bit more complicated because there is some trauma that did take place. Well, I see, I think um, I would like to add something to what you're saying uh, that I think it needs to be said. Yes, she's smart enough to recognize what she can benefit and like what she needs to say to get what she wants, but I don't think she understands fully the ramifications if she does yeah. fully. 
Like, I know she knows that her, like, oh, I'll be separated from my mom again if I do this. But I don't think she understands what that means for her mother at this time. No, I don't think so. You know what I mean? So, like, you know. But this is later on. This is more of, like, her teenage years. Okay. When she's older. and And she does understand the consequences a little bit more. But I go back to May of 2000 because I find that when I've done all of this and, you know, I read a book about this entire case and it's, I'm going to put it in the show notes and I don't want to say the title because the titles always give it away. So I always want to wait for that. But I think that was the splintering of their relationship where it became this unbalanced relationship of Joanne constantly trying to win back the love and trust of her daughter and her daughter not wanting to give back that love and trust to her mother, but getting monetarily everything she wanted out of it. Yeah. It seemed it seems to be a very weird power struggle. Between the two women. Weird dynamic, yeah. Very much so. Yeah. And that became Joanne's parenting style just to indulge her daughter's every whim. Like, maybe I'll eventually get her. The result of this was what many would consider a very spoiled teenager that had everything she wanted. Makeup, clothes, CDs, room decorations, any trip she wanted to go on, Joanne paid for it. Whatever Tyler wanted, she got. And the older she got, the more strained her relationship with her mother was. The two fought constantly. At that time, their arguments, although never violent, Um, Tyler is going to claim that there were times that her and her mother would get into shoving matches once she was a teenager. But these fights were also extremely loud and very verbally abusive on both ends. They fought about a lot of things. Tyler's friend group, who Joanne thought was a bad influence. Tyler's gothic clothing style. Um, So we are talking about the time period of like 2009 so she was into kind of like a gothic style of dress, but also emo. Remember when it was like weird, like people would wear like Abercrombie shirts with the big black baggy, you know, like people did like weird mixes of things. You know what? I got to tell she you the truth. She was kind of like that. I, I feel like that's a part of my like life that I just completely don't remember. I think on purpose. Well, you were, I think you just missed it. Like you were two years younger than I was. Totally at the end of it. Yeah. Totally at the end of it. So Tyler is going to kind of be into that lifestyle. She's very into like insane clown posse. Oh, that's her. That's her jam. Got it. Okay. She called herself a, what is a juggalette? Is that what they call themselves? I I don't know. I I can't even speak on the matter to be honest. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) And I'm like, you're wrong. We're going to get a one star review. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) So the two of them are going to fight about this bad friend. She doesn't like that. You know, the music she's listening to her clothing. Another thing that the two always fought about was, and I, and I feel like she was truly justified in this. Tyler wanted to know about her biological father. Ooh, okay. And Joanne refused to say anything about him. Okay. I mean, did she ever give her, like, a valid reason? No. Okay. But, you know, she's 14. So maybe she feels her daughter isn't ready. We don't know the situation in which, you know, she conceived her. So 
I think maybe she thought her daughter wasn't ready. I, I can't speak on why she wouldn't say it. Yeah. But this was something that emotionally really bothered Tyler. I mean, this is the thing. I think that she probably didn't say it because she doesn't know what would happen if she did. They're already – they have this weird power struggle, like I mentioned earlier, where you don't know if this might push her over the edge. Or be something she or, uses against right, her. Right, exactly. I mean, if she used that, she could use this. And I hate to put a child in that role but or, a, you know, a teen. But, you know, I, I mean, I don't think you're ever ready for that kind of information. I mean, for some for some it works out and for some it, it doesn't. So, yeah. you know. Well, I guess her mother's trying to determine when is my daughter – old enough and mature enough to hear information that might not be good or she might not be ready to comprehend or understand. Right. And there's also another... is still a child. Yeah. And there's still another side to that. You don't know what happened. You know, I mean, maybe she was raped or... It was an abusive or relationship. Abusive relationship. How bad yeah. is this guy, actually? Maybe she's doing it to protect her daughter. Like, right. you don't know the other side of it. There's a reason why he's yeah. not in her life any longer. There must yeah. be. But the most recent thing that the two were fighting about was a boy named Stephen Culver. In fact, Stephen Culver was what the police report had been about the day before Joanne had been murdered. So they're able to determine they found her body on Monday, June 15th. But they're able to determine that she was murdered the Friday before. Oh, okay. So she had it been days. That's why they're like, where's Tyler? Because now it's been a whole weekend. Where'd she go? Okay. So now let's get to the police report that Joanne is going to file in relation to Stephen Culver and her daughter. So this one is a bit of a longer story. I'm like doing this in segments for you. Tyler Witt was a beautiful, angsty teenager who was going through a gothic phase. Maybe it wasn't a phase. I don't know. I don't want to assume. But I feel like everyone kind of went through something like that in the 2000s. Like, we all had our time. Period. Yeah. I mean, that was the time, you know? Yes. So. And it was in style. It wasn't like... I find that back then, everyone thought that it was like this like subculture, but it was really kind of like everyone was doing it. Yeah. I mean, you know what it was? It was, it was just in style. Different levels of it. Everyone had a different level I of agree. it. I agree. You know, I there agree. was a clique that was, like, at its most hardcore, and then you had other little cliques that had elements of it. It was everywhere. Right. Like, there's a difference between the those big black baggy pants with the chains and then someone wearing a sideways studded belt with their packs on jeans. You know? Like, sure. There's levels. Yeah. I got oddly specific, but people are going to know exactly what I'm talking about. Who are Because that's age. what you did, probably. I... <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. But... She was also dealing with a lot of social, emotional, and maybe psychological problems that weren't being addressed properly. So things are going to be um, a little bit more intense with Tyler. And it seemed that that was mostly because she kept all of this hidden from her mother. By the age of 14, Tyler was hanging out with other teenagers, mostly those who were a lot older than she was. She would stay out late. And she was also turning to self-harm for release of whatever had been bothering her. Around this time, Tyler is going to meet Stephen Culver while hanging out with a group of friends at the Habit Coffee Shop in the town center of El Dorado Hills. Now, you also have to know that El Dorado Hills is a very expensive um, neighborhood. It's in El Dorado County, 
and the east part of El Dorado County is going to hug up against the lake, like South Tahoe. Okay. Oh, Tahoe. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds expensive. It's very expensive. So that's the area that we're talking about. So we're talking about some pretty wealthy teens here. Okay. And she often goes to the center of town to hang out. And she's immediately drawn to Stephen, who's at the center of kind of this older goth group of friends. And everyone kind of like looked to him. So she found that very attractive. At first, it was her friend that liked Stephen or Boston, as they all called him. So throughout this whole case, they always like refer to him as Boston. So if I'm ever reading like dialogue, they call him Boston. And it's not because he's from Boston. He had a speech impediment as a child that made him sound like he had an, a Boston accent. You know what's really funny? I what? had a friend that we called Boston as well. Was it because he had a speech impediment? No, actually, it's not. Uh, funny story. We were in cooking class in high school. And the teacher asked, uh, you know, uh, you know, I don't know, like like Boston cream donuts, like you know, where, you know, um, what state has Boston cream donuts? And he responded, Boston. So everybody goes, okay, that's not a state. And then uh, pretty much after that, everyone just called him Boston. That was oh it. Oh, my God. And they wouldn't let it go, like, for, for years after. That was, like, my freshman year. But it sounds like a cool nickname. But anyway, I had a Boston, too. I feel like everyone knows a boss, like, somebody that's, like, referred to as Boston. So, or they called him B-Town. This is, I'm just going to call him Steven, okay? Don't, yeah, don't I call, can't. stop. Don't call I'm him not. B-Town. Don't do that. <laughs> so... I mean, he did turn it around. Like, it was pretty good marketing for himself to turn around the speech impediment. Well, Tyler's going to start hanging out with her friend and Steven. But it becomes apparent that the two of them were more into each other, um, which I'm sure didn't go over well with her friend. But they'd start hanging out alone. Or they would hang out with a mutual friend that they had, and his name was Matt. So Matt's going to actually play a big role in this case. So usually people would say that if you ever saw Tyler and Steven, Matt was also there. Okay. So he was third wheeling a lot. A lot. Okay. Tyler and Steven were all into the same things. They liked the same music, movies. They were both very into anime. And during this time, Steven is under the impression that Tyler is 16 years old. In reality, she's 14. No, you think that that's just something that he's saying? Or... And Stephen is 19. Um, okay, so they're a lot older than her. Yes. Oof. He truly believes that she's 16 at this time because okay. she introduces herself as 16. As 16? Okay. Yeah. All right. That makes sense. So as of right now, you know, obviously when they first meet, it's a platonic relationship, but the two are growing closer. They often, and they always, actually, they always refer to themselves as like a brother-sister relationship like oh we're so close we're like brother and sister okay, okay okay kind of thing all right you know so joanne was introduced to steven one night it did not go well <laughs> well at first it didn't go well so tyler was supposed to be having a sleepover with one of her girlfriends and at around midnight steven stops over tyler's house she told him and her friend that there was a walking trail nearby that she wanted to show them Her friend didn't want to go, so she stayed back and watched TV. Now, the sound of the TV was so loud that it woke Joanne up. This sounds like the worst sleepover of all time. And when Joanne woke up, she asked her daughter's friends, like, where's Tyler? 
And she said she'd gone out for a walk with Steven. My God. She was probably like, what? Well, this didn't lie for her. No. She was like, nah, she left me. She, <laughs> she just she's on a right walk with Steven. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so by the time Joanne looked out the front door, her daughter and Steven had gotten pretty far away. So she does one of those like mom whistles to kind of like get their attention. You mean the mom whistle that you cannot do? I can't. I can't even regular whistle. I can't. I, I feel <laughs> truly. I also, There's so many things I can't do, guys. I'm actually a very incapable human being. I feel like the second I give birth, I'm going to know how to mom whistle and swim. Okay. We just like, have to. These are instinctual you things that I'll do for my child. You know that I can't swim. That's not true. I never knew that. I thought you were uh, a decent swimmer. I can wade in the ocean, but I can't like swim. <laughs> like right. I can like hang. All right. Well, I could swim. So the child will be okay because I could swim. No, I feel like mom's just instinctually know how to do these things. So they just learn how to swim and, and get whistle? really, really neat handwriting. Mm. Like my handwriting will get neater. So. All right. We'll have to see. So I can write on lunches. I mean, I think your handwriting's all right. All right. It's better than mine. That's true. <laughs> Anything's her. better than your handwriting. <laughs> That's true. So she does the mom whistle to get their attention. It doesn't work. And they keep walking into the night. Well, they're probably ignoring it. So now she's doing the terrifying thing of waiting for them to get back. Ooh. She's in trouble. She's in a lot of trouble. So where we left off, Joanne is waiting at home for Tyler to return with this mysterious Steven person. And she waits for about an hour. So you know every minute that ticks by, she's just getting more and more upset. So as she sees them returning up the street, Joanne storms out of the house to confront them in the yard. And she's screaming at Steven. What do you think you're doing? She said, she's 14. And that's actually how... Not only Joanne met Stephen, but it's how Stephen found out that Tyler was 14 years old. So let me just make sure that I got this correct. And also for the audience, just to make sure. Stephen is 19? Correct. And he thinks that she's 16? Yes. Okay. But she's really 14. Yes. And even 16 is illegal in the state of California. I was just going to say, I mean, 16, yeah. Not any better, but. I mean, not much better. Not really. I feel like a three-year age difference or even a five-year age difference is no big deal if people are over the age of consent. Agreed. Yes. That's, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put that in the sand. That is <laughs> how I feel. Yes. Okay. So Tyler is going to like go into hysterics right away, but Stephen is going to remain calm. He tells Joanne that first he did not know that she was 14 years old he thought that she was 16 he apologizes he says you know i'm a 19 year old college student at the local community college i'm not romantically interested in your daughter we're just friends i see tyler as a sister and we didn't hear you whistle if we would we would have turned back around even just to see who had made that sound. We really couldn't hear you. The wind was so loud. Like he was kind of like trying to calm Joanne down. Well, yeah, because I'm sure she was extremely distraught. Very upset. Yeah. And she kind of sees this as a mark of respect that he didn't like either run away or yell back. Like he's trying to say, those aren't my intentions with your daughter. He was being respectful. 
So she at least appreciated that. And from that day forward, Joanne is going to approve of her daughter's friendship with Stephen if it remained that, a friendship. She believed that he was a respectful young man that didn't seem sexually interested in her daughter. And in fact, many of Stephen's friends' parents are going to come out and say that they very much liked him, that he was always trustworthy, calm. He seemed to be responsible. Yeah, I mean, that's all that's all good and all, but I, I can tell you right now that I still, I'm a little shocked, actually, in the mother's decision, but I know exactly why. She knows that her daughter and her are at wit's end. They do not have a good relationship, and she's trying to make the relationship better by giving in to the things that the daughter wants again. Correct. Because I don't think any parent, I'm sure we could ask any parent that listens to us, they probably would say that they wouldn't agree with her decision. Right. Because it's still a little awkward. I mean, he's a college student hanging out with a 14-year-old. Yeah. Even his friends. That's weird to me. So, I, I, you know, <laughs> that's just that's just me. Well, But I'm sure we would get a similar response from most people. Right. Now, hear me out, too, because I have I, – I totally agree with your theory. I think she's trying to placate her daughter. Yeah. And she knows that this is one way to do it. But I also, and this kind of speaks to the way Stephen's friends also felt, is they're all nerve. Like, everyone in this scene was, like, heavy into the goth scene, right? And sometimes that makes parents nervous, you know? If your child all of a sudden starts dressing all in black and listening to music that kind of terrifies you, like, you know, you are scared that they're getting into a weird scene, but you really just truly don't understand it, right? And your mind starts to go crazy thinking the worst, you know, because that's kind of what parents do, especially when they don't understand something. And Stephen kind of looks the, the part too, right? Dresses in all black. He's always wearing like leather gloves, like, like you know, like the biking leather gloves. Yeah. And the big black pants. And the parents would meet him and they'd be like, oh, my God, it's just another kid that's in this scene. But then here Stephen is. He's well-spoken. He's very respectful. He is a math and education major. He wants to be a math teacher. He has a minor in psychology. And they're all kind of put at ease slightly with their child's choices because, look, there's – look at his friends. They're intellectual. They have a path in life. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It makes uh, yeah. them feel better. I guess. Well, it puts their guard down. Yes. But that's what he is uh, giving off. That's not necessarily like. It could be the Eddie Haskell thing. You know, that's what he's projecting uh, yeah. to parents. But how is he in reality? Because right. we do hear two sides of Stephen. We hear him being shy, respectful, quiet, intelligent, well-spoken. But then we also hear about this crazy side that he has that I'm sure comes out with his friends. But then again, you could say that's most kids. you right. know. It's... but not every kid is a schmoozer. And that's also what he's probably known for. Yeah. Um, trust me. Um, also, I, I thought about something. We're talking about this emo scene, right? Yeah. And how well, they're this... a little bit more, they're more, a little bit more insane clown posse. Okay. A little less taken back Sunday. Okay, fine. <laughs> I like your reference. That was actually okay. funny. Um, no, but what I'm trying to get at here is how old is the mother at this point? 
47. Her, 47. Okay, so she's close to 50. So you think about it. If she sees kids that are dressed in black, they look a certain way, that would totally give you vibes. And like go to kind of go to what you said. Maybe she's a little taken back and a little guarded because she's afraid maybe of the way they look because that could give you like satanic uh, panic flashbacks. Exactly. That's what I'm thinking. Right. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. And then she gets surprised that he's so well-spoken because they don't expect that. They expect chaos. Right. Well, after this, Stephen is going to spend a lot of time at the Wit House. Okay. With Tyler and her mother. He was helping tutor Tyler, and he would do this, like, in the presence of Joanne. Help her with her schoolwork, especially math, because he later wanted to be a math teacher. And throughout this whole time, Tyler's grades are really improving, and she's going to school. She usually always skipped school. She's now attending school, and she's making up work, and her grades are improving. So Joanne is seeing a positive correlation between her daughter hanging out with this kid, even though it's a wildly inappropriate age difference. Well, it's a foot in the door and a stepping stone. Well, she's so, just happy, like, yeah, oh, my right. God, something's going right finally. Right. Stephen also worked at a Mexican restaurant in addition to going to school. So there were also nights that he would cook dinner for Joanne and Tyler. So everything seemed good because Tyler and Steven seemed to be keeping things platonic. That brother-sister relationship they always talked about. But in fact, they were beginning the early phases of a relationship that legally could not be consensual. Yeah, see, it's never going to stay like that. Come on. (laughs) Come on, we all know everyone's intentions here. Come on. Now, to Tyler, Stephen was everything she wanted. He was kind to her and caring. He wanted her to do well in school, stop skipping classes. He even spoke to her extensively about not self-harming any longer. And she listened to him because he said he had gone through all of the same things, but had stopped. And to her, he was an older male figure that accepted her. Something she had always been searching for growing up, living in a single mother household. And she has no positive male role models. And this is what she's all going to project onto Stephen. But what Tyler couldn't see or process because she was too young to do so was the fact that this relationship, right, in air quotes, because we can't really call it one, um, that she was headed into was illegal. And it was illegal for a reason. She is young and impressionable and extremely vulnerable. Too vulnerable. Especially in the eyes of the law. To consensually join in a relationship with someone much older than her. And just to be clear here, in the state of California, the legal age of consent is 18 years old. And the law is very, very clear about that. Because in the state of California, there's no such thing as that Romeo and Juliet exception that some states have. That even though someone might be under the age of consent, if there's a three-year age difference, it can be um, not counted towards not the one being under the age of consent. So that law does not exist in the state of California. Yeah, plus there's also other states that... um the parent can sign or, or something, right? Um, if there there are many things, it, this is kind of like 
all states. Okay. There are things that would allow someone to be involved in a relationship, and marriage is one of them, which is where the, the parents would have to give consent for their child to be married, and then they would be able to enter into a, a physical romantic relationship. Yeah, all this gives me weird, creepy vibes. Yes. Also, I want to add something. The uh, the fact that um, you know, he's there, he's cooking, he's tutoring her, he's doing all these things for both of them, really. That to me, in itself, is grooming because what's happening is, yeah, both she, of them. She is seeing him. Uh, like like she needs him like she needs air to breathe and oh, that yes. is and that is going to create a massive problem especially Be- yeah. if she's going to say you can't see him anymore exactly well it's around this time in the winter of 2009 that Steven and Tyler to themselves i mean they begin to like officially date he asks her out and she says yes and about one month later, they begin having sex, um, which in reality is Stephen committing statutory rape. Stephen also, during this time, is going to introduce Tyler to drugs, which um, seemed to me, an outsider looking in, as another example as to why this is not a decision for a 14-year-old to be making, right? That he's not trying to help her life as he outwardly is projecting. He's he's hindering it and making her reliable on to him. Right. So together they would smoke pot, take ecstasy. And Tyler also had tried cocaine with Stephen and began to use it more and more. But of course, Joanne was none the wiser to what was truly going on in her daughter's life, because all she's seeing is the positive, because since Tyler had been in fourth grade she'd been running away self-harming doing bad things like it's it's all a bad situation because it's so clear that even before tyler meets steven that she should have been going to a therapist she needed some guidance for sure she needed some guidance and she wasn't so then this became her outlet and falsely joanne is seeing some positive things happening so she doesn't want to stop it because she's never seen her daughter be nice to her or or do well in school and she wants good things for her. So that brings us to spring break of 2009. Joanne made good money, but it was expensive to maintain the large house that they had and the needs of a teenage daughter. So she figured that it might be worth it to rent one of the bedrooms that they had in the house because they had many to a boarder. She spread the word that she was looking Um, And she wanted to be picky, of course, because she had a teenage daughter. According to family, she was thinking kind of somewhat along the lines of like a nurse that worked long hours and kind of had opposite schedule as them. But her daughter had a very different suggestion altogether. How about Stephen? No, 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 no. You are not allowed to have a a, a man in a house. No, no, no. (laughs) I, you know, I'm telling you right now, I, you know, it's funny because we talked about this the other day. We did, we did. I'm going to be an insane father. I know it. I probably will cross the line at least once and then have to pull back. I know it. It's going to happen. John actually terrified me in the car. Yeah. You should have seen Kay. She was like, you're not going to do those things. I'm like, oh, oh, I am. I was literally talking about like microchipping my child so I know where they are. 
Like, I have a problem, I think. But the reason being is because, like, we do so much true crime. It's like, I know it exists now. Like, before, I mean, I knew people died, murdered, whatever. But now that I know, five years in now, what I know, I can never not microchip my child. (laughs) Right? I know, I know. It's crazy. You know, I mean, I am joking. But at the same time, I'm totally serious. Like, I don't know. I just think that, like, this is... a. This is a red flag. Red flag. I don't like it. No guys in the house. Not happening. Well, at first her mother said no. It would be inappropriate. It would be. But they had a plan. Let's hear this one. Steven and Tyler told Joanne that the real reason why nothing had ever happened between the two of them and why they saw each other only as brother and sister was because Steven was gay. Oh, come on. Really? Uh, but you know really? what, though? She's going to... F- she, uh, even if she doesn't fall for it, hook, line, and sinker, she's probably just going to do it. Again, another thing she's just going to crumble on. Well, she did fall for it. Oh, they, oh, there you go. So she said, oh, I didn't know that. And then she figured, <laughs> like, this is okay. After all, you know, everything with Tyler has gotten better since she's become friends with Steven. Her grades have improved. She's become so much nicer she thought, like, maybe this guy is a really good influence on my daughter's life. So she agreed to let him move in. And for a while, the two kept up a really good facade. Stephen went to school and work. He did chores around the house. He was paying $500 a month for room um, and also, you know, to get access to the kitchen and living room, obviously. And Tyler was going to school, like, not skipping any classes. She was maintaining good grades. She wasn't like skipping out in the middle of the night. So Joanne was happy. She was like, everything is perfect. But what she doesn't know is that the whole time, um, you know, while she's at work or while she's sleeping, the two of them are having sex in the house. Yeah, th- this is crazy. Like my mind, my 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 mind is ready to explode because like everything is happening right in front of the mother, and the mother just cannot see it; is just completely blind to to it. I think that she's so eager to have a good relationship with her daughter and have her daughter be a successful person that she's willing to be blind to that. Yeah, and accept certain things that normally you wouldn't. Yeah, and that's she's a very intelligent yeah. woman. It's really hard to be in that situation because you don't know what to do. I mean, I sit here and I say this now, but I understand we don't have that kids. we well, don't yeah, know. Yeah, we have no idea. Or but kids that we have trouble with. Yeah, but it's just really hard though to see someone struggle uh, with their child in such a way. You know, even if some of it might have been her fault, it right. it's it's sad to just to see it. It is. The whole situation is sad, devastating. Yeah, and. Now, the reason why Stephen was – so Stephen was living with his father and his father's girlfriend and her children, but they were going to be moving out of the area. So they were putting their house up for sale. So once they found a house, Stephen was going to have to leave, which is why he left. But Stephen's father is actually going to request to go to dinner with Joanne and Tyler to meet the people that his son's going to be moving in with. Okay. So his parent, his father cares – a lot about Stephen and as does Stephen's mother but um, the parents are just separated and it was a little bit of an awkward dinner like Tyler and Joanne were kind of going back and forth arguing a little bit but for the most part 
Joanne seemed like a very nice, capable woman. She has a wonderful job. So he was like, it's okay. All right. So also at this time, Tyler is going to be keeping an intense journal about her relationship with Steven. In it, she recounted all of the times that they had sex and how she felt about it. She wrote things like, it scares me how much I love him. I know I will never stop loving him. We will love each other to death. She had written a poem about him where she said that she loved him because he was truthful, honest, and kind. He was a beautiful person who had a heart and soul and was loyal and dependable. He made her laugh, love life, and gave her hope. And give her drugs. And Yes, that wasn't in the poem. But yeah, she should have put that one in there too. He, and, their, and their relationship is illegal as well. Okay, yes, John. Okay, sorry, sorry. These are sorry. all things that could have been added I, to the poem. I am sorry. I, you I, are I couldn't correct. control myself. <laughs> she also added that he was her guardian angel, which is most likely in reference. Now, the two of them were big anime fans. And this is in reference to an anime that they were both kind of obsessed with. And it was Stephen's favorite. It was called Angel Sanctuary. I never heard of it. Okay. So in um, Angel Sanctuary, the main character is a reincarnated angel who falls in love with his sister in what is noted as a forbidden love. Sound familiar? It's a forbidden love. Yes. And they have a brother-sister relationship. Got it. Yes. That's interesting. You know, can I just say something right now, right off the bat? Okay. I have to tell the audience. I, I do like anime. Not all. Not every single one. But I think, I I think I could speak for all people who enjoy anime, that there's certain people out there that give it a bad name, okay. And right now we're dealing with that. You're feeling the vibe. I'm feeling the vibe. So just to clarify, not you know for the layman that doesn't understand anime, not all of them are weird or perverted or anything like that. But then you got people like this that take it there, you know. So let's not ruin anime for everyone who yeah. likes it. All right. That's true. John does really like anime. As I was reading the book for this case and like doing the research for it, what did I? I turned around and I was like, "What's manga? Is that what I said?" Yeah, manga. I was like, "What's manga?" I to, like I didn't understand yeah. what it was. If there's kept, anyone they that kept referencing yeah. it in the book, I'm like, "What the hell is this?" Yeah. So if there's anybody that doesn't know that, like, I had to explain that to 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 Kay. Pretty much, manga is a comic book. It's it's the Japanese version of a comic book. They were they're very into anime. This comic. Yeah. So this fairy tale that the two thought they were living was going to come to an abrupt end in the middle of May. On May 13th, Joanne was doing some cleaning um, and attached to Stephen's room was kind of like a small attic like storage space. It's large enough, you know, to store things, but that's also where her HVAC system was located. So she would often clean it. In event... She noticed something. So she went to go touch the vent and she noticed that the screws weren't in the vent any longer. So she was able to just kind of like remove the vent top. And within the vent, she found sexual lubricant, sex toys, marijuana, and other drug paraphernalia. What? Oh yes. my God. So this All is right. attached to Stephen's room. Oh, okay. So Joanne was still under the impression that Stephen was gay. So she thought that that was what the sex toys were for. 
right? So she didn't have any problem with that, but the drugs in her home was something she was upset with him about. Okay. So she's going to confront him once he and Tyler got home. Steven, like you said, because it was a good call, he's a bit of a smooth talker. Yeah. And he was able to get out of the situation. He promised Joanne that the drugs were not his, that he was holding them for a friend. Uh, okay. and, and that he apologized for bringing it into her home. And Joanne, of course, didn't bring up the sex toy stuff because she doesn't want to get into a sexual business. Right? Because she uh, yeah. doesn't think it involves her daughter. Right. So Joanne warns him that if any other drugs were ever found in the house, that she would have to ask him to leave. Okay. And he promised that he would n- never do it again. So Tyler and Stephen thought they had escaped trouble, but the next day would be worse. On May 14th, Joanne came home early from a tennis game that she had been playing, and she was looking for Tyler, who was supposed to be home. She saw that Stephen's door was slightly open, which usually meant that he was inside. So she knocked on the door, and it took Stephen a long time to get to the door. And she kind of heard a commotion inside the room, And then about a minute later, Stephen opens the door and he's half dressed. And she asks, you know, where's Tyler? Have you seen her? And he said he didn't know. And he suggested maybe that she went out for a walk. But out of the corner of her eye, Joanne saw the door to the HVAC room close. Is she in there? She asked. And Stephen, you know, said no. But Joanne went in anyway and there she found her naked 14-year-old daughter. No. Yes. Stop it. No. <laughs> I'm sorry. That is insane. Yeah. So that's how she, like, found out they'd been lying to her the whole time. All right, wait. I wanna, okay, let me just say this. This is going to sound weird. I want to be to fly in that room, but just not in the area of her naked i just want to like okay. see the reaction <laughs> get it, yeah 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 yeah. i just want to clarify i just want to see the reaction like of they the had mother been caught. yes and how frantic inside they probably both were right my what a God. weird reaction to have no no one's in here <laughs> and then you barge in it's just such a mortifying oh, situation oh my god so joanne immediately told steven like you gotta leave my house you can't yeah. be here Like, I know what's happening. Her daughter instantly begins hyperventilating and going into a full-blown panic attack. She didn't want him to leave. Joanne said that she needed to take a breather, right? She's like, I need to go for a drive. And when I come back, your things need to be packed up. That's what she said to Stephen. I mean, that's extremely fair. I don't know if I would have had. Would you been able to do that and just leave the house? No, but but I think that Joanne understands the repercussions to her reacting violently or aggressively because look at what had happened in her past. Good call. And she's probably using the skills that she learned from the court mandate. Right, from the anger management stuff. Exactly. Okay. So she's like, I'm going to take a breather and come back. So she needs to calm down. When she got back, her daughter had slightly calmed down but was still very upset. Joanne asked Stephen to go for a drive with her. So they could leave the hectic situation and have an actual conversation. Stephen agreed to go with her. 
and while they were in the car, he admitted to everything that had been happening. Joanne, at this point, could have called the police and gotten Stephen arrested, but she chose not to. She decided to give him a chance and not destroy his life, because truly this could have destroyed his life. His ambition was to be a math teacher. You have a statutory rape charge on your record? You can't be a teacher. Yeah, you can kiss that goodbye in every, pretty much every other career You'll never you get want. a teaching license. Probably won't get anything. No. <laughs> it's so. actually hard to get a teaching license with anything on your record, even a DUI. Yeah. She told him that if he left the house and never saw Tyler again, she would not call the police. But if he continued to see her, she would have no choice but to let law enforcement know that they had been having sex. And she saw it happen. Yeah. He agreed to her terms. Stephen asked for some time to find a new place and to be able to properly pack up all the things he had because he really brought over everything he owned. And Joanne agreed. She said, I think that's fair. She gave him two weeks. Uh, that's extremely generous. Very generous. I mean, very fair. I think maybe too generous. But, hey, I mean, that's... She's trying to keep the peace as much as possible. Yeah. And she does... She had grown to like and appreciate Stephen for what he had done. You know? So she's saying, I don't want to destroy your life. You have parents. I met them. They're nice people. I just want you to not see my daughter. And I want you to get out. Right. Now I understand. Now I got something for you here. Okay. I have something for you. Let's think about this for a second. The daughter, Tyler, has has had something over the mother for years. Yeah. Right? If you really think about it, she has something over her daughter. Yes. For the first Ooh, time. Oh, I didn't think. Now the playing field is even. Now the even. playing field is even. And now you know what that means, I'm sure, is that things are going to get out of hand. Because now both can't, both of them are in a check, or I should say like a checkmate. That's very interesting. Because if, if she wants, she could get her, uh, air quote, boyfriend in trouble. Right. Right. And it's then interesting. that's gone. Her mothers had never had that power before never. in this dynamic of their relationship. Yep. And now it, I don't want to say it's shifted, but now it's equal. Like you said, and she's probably equal. not going to know what to do, how to handle her mother having something on her. Correct. Like that. Interesting. And it resorts to violence. Good, good call there, Johnny. Yeah. So that was all like everything was squashed between Joanne and Tyler and they worked out a pretty reasonable deal, but this wasn't good enough for Tyler. The next day, she's going to throw a fit like she never had before. Screaming at Joanne, they get into a very heated argument. And because of the situation and how Tyler's acting, Joanne tells Stephen, listen, I'm sorry. I know we had that agreement, but I can't live like this. You got to go. Okay. Like you have to leave sooner. You have to be out the next day, which is May 16th. Okay. Stephen left the house but had to leave most of his belongings because he couldn't carry everything he owned. About a week later, he was able to get help from his friend Matt, who's also friends with Tyler, and the two of them borrowed a pickup truck to move all of his things out. As what happened settled with Joanne, she grew more and more upset about it. Right. Like she tried to stay calm in that first moment, but now she's kind of wrestling with the fact that, okay, something wildly inappropriate happened under my roof 
and it's not good. So she was thinking like, did I do the right thing? Or should I really be calling the police? Like, I want to protect my daughter. And is me letting this go not protecting her? So she's kind of struggling with what to do and it's really bothering her. But she kind of doesn't want to make the situation worse with her daughter. So what she does is she asks two male friends from her work to come by because she doesn't have a husband to scare the shit out of, out of Steven, you know? Okay. So she asked these guys to come by and like, tell him like, this is wrong. You're not going to see her again. And like sternly tell him like, never come around here again because nobody's scared of her. Yeah. So she asked these two guys to come by. They do. Two very large men are going to lecture Stephen about what he had done, how he should be in jail, and how he's never to come around again. I mean, it's a good call, but I, I see the thing. The Obviously, the choice that she has to make. I mean, it's a hard one. A lot of people would struggle with it because when you really think about it, now where we're at, right? If she kind of downplays what took place which is a very hard thing to swallow, and then just kind of try to just protect her daughter, well, that's actually, it could be counterintuitive because now she's going to jump in the arms of Steven. Whatever she does is going to force her away regardless. Whether she accepts it or denounces it, it doesn't really matter. Sometimes it's it's really complicated. Yeah. Man, I I don't know. It's bad. When I was a sophomore in high school, so I was 15. What'd you do? My boyfriend was 19 years old. Oh, oh, that's right. You, I remember you yes, telling me that. That's yep. my first boyfriend. Okay. And my parents hated him. Still to this day, my mom talks about how much she hated my first boyfriend. And he was like a complete loser. And I actually did meet him at an emo show, actually. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> um, But they made the choice to not forbid me to see him because they knew that I they had faith that I would make the right decision to end a bad relationship sometimes when you keep someone away from somebody it pushes them like you said into their arms right and it actually doesn't let them think on their own without without a clear mind right. you know right so yeah I, I don't know but it's complicated because it is illegal and you're like no I want to like I want this man to be arrested right also, come on now. First of all, your parents, I was like the only boyfriend that your parents You loved. were the only boyfriend my parents liked. Well, they were all, besides you, not good. Yeah. You you didn't really make the right calls. But that's okay. That. No, I didn't. I mean, that's okay. I mean, you wound, you wound up here, and that's, and that's great. I, you know, and I would have went through all of it all over again to be with you <laughs> oh, in the end. Well, that's very kind. That's yes. very kind. Yeah. And I, and likewise. <laughs> but yeah, your parents, your parents were awesome. I, we always had a good time. So... She thinks this is going to be the best thing to do. And Steven isn't, like, aggressive with them. He, the whole time, he's just like, yes, sir, yes, sir, and nodding to everything they say. Because that's his way to placate them. That's what he does. Tyler was very upset about this. She said that the fact that her mother was not allowing her to see Steven ever again made her very, very mad. And she felt as if she would never be able to go through life without him. Like you said, he's the air she breathed. But she also didn't want him to go to jail. So now 
they kind of have to listen. And like you said, Joanne finally has the upper hand in this situation and is allowed to be a parent kind of for the first time in a long time. Yeah. Okay, so where we left off, Tyler and Stephen had been forbidden to see each other because their relationship was illegal. And Tyler's mother was really looking out for the well-being of both of them. She wanted the best for her daughter, and she was apprehensive to ruin Stephen's life. So the deal that they made was that if they never saw each other again, she wouldn't contact the police. John, do you think they stayed away from each other? Absolutely not. No. Young love... Forbidden love does not die that easy. Tyler continued to call Stephen, and Stephen continued to answer the phone. And this is just days after their promise to Joanne was made. Tyler was insistent with Stephen that something was wrong with her. Each time she called, she had another debilitating physical ailment. Um, She begged him to come see her and help her. They wanted to see each other, but they were still nervous about Stephen going to jail. So they thought of a solution. They started hanging out with other people around. So in their minds, it's not us hanging out. We're just in a group together. That's going to open the floodgates. But that doesn't change anything. No, it doesn't. And then, of course, things start escalating again and a, a They start having sex again. And they're (sighs) having sex in Joanne's house while she's at work. Why? I know. This is crazy. Steven, you horrible man. (laughs) You are doing things that are illegal. (laughs) Find someone your own age at community college. Come on now, man. You could do it. I have faith. So. The way that he could smooth the the mom over is the same way that he can go smooth another girl in college. Find someone your own age, dude. Or older. Come on now. Or older. Nothing wrong with an older woman. No, not not at all. Yeah. Now, let me just give you some context here that might bridge a few gaps for you. The entire time that Tyler has known Stephen, she has been telling him that her mother is a closeted alcoholic who abuses her. So that's how Tyler is making Stephen feel guilty and bad for her. She's a victim. That he has to save. And yeah. this is going to call to that anime angel sanctuary thing. Oh, Jesus. Okay? Yeah. So, Tyler's saying that Joanne has been able to keep her alcoholism a secret from everyone, but she has to live with the abuse every day. Day in, day out. And from what I can gather from multiple sources, that the collective narrative was that Joanne was not an alcoholic. She suffered from severe back pain and lupus, so she was on a pain management plan of both painkillers and muscle relaxers, and on occasion, she would drink on this medication. Now, if you do that, it's not true crime couple approved, and it does make you a little loopy. So if she would have a drink, she would get loopy, and then Tyler would be like, my mom's an alcoholic, and go into this whole like diatribe of how her life was so difficult. See, but this is where this whole thing falls apart, okay? I understand that we're telling a story and we are, you know, this is just, we, you know, 
we're learning this has already happened, but yeah. what breaks this thing wide open is, guess what? Steven lived there. And it, you're telling me that for the length of time that Steven was there, nothing happened? Well, what? so what Tyler would say, because Steven worked at this Mexican restaurant, and he was the shift manager. So he would often work really late. So by the time he would come home, Joanne would be asleep, and Tyler would say, well, she, dr- she drank herself to the point where she passed out. So that's how she was still I'm, saying. I'm just saying, though, that if you are in this house for an extended period of time and you have someone that is being abusive and, and is being an alcoholic, there is no way you can hide that during just a long night shift and they're in bed. You are going to have times where, well, I'll call it a time of weakness, where you're going to slip if you could truly have an issue. And if someone's living with you. Right. So I don't like... I would not have believed it, but obviously he wants to do things for her. So he's going to listen to it. He also wants to be this savior. Right. So this is convenient to the narrative that he wants to be true as well. Right. They're both living in this fantasy life. Like even when they went out to dinner with Stephen's father, when Stephen's father wanted to meet Joanne and Tyler, Stephen's father came to the door and Stephen and Tyler answered the door and said, Joanne's so drunk right now. We'll just meet you at the restaurant so she could sober up. And he was like, what? Still let his son live there. But then they go to the restaurant and Stephen's father was like, she was showed no signs of being intoxicated or extremely intoxicated in the past 15 minutes that it took for us to meet them at the restaurant. And like I'm saying, if someone is dealing with... Uh alcoholism that's not how it works right so i think they're both painting a massively dramatized version of what was taking place right she shouldn't have been drinking on medication but i don't think that what they're saying is necessarily true i don't think so either so now even though she's seeing steven again tyler made her mother's life hell like joanne doesn't know she's seeing steven but tyler was saying You know, every time she saw her mother, like, she would scream at her, you ruined my life, you took away the one person who cared about her. Meanwhile, she's still seeing him. Like, you took away my beloved. That's what she kept saying. Oh, it's so gross. Now, now in reality, every time Joanne was dropping Tyler off at summer school, Stephen was picking her up and they were hanging out. Fantastic. No one listens to rules around here. No. These things are illegal and very bad. Yes, I know. Listen to the rules. That could be the premise of all of our podcast. Nobody listens to the rules. That's, know, that's why we have a problem. podcast. Yeah. <laughs> On one of these occasions in late May, Tyler had been at her friend Matt's house with Stephen. You know, Matt is the common friend. So the plan had been for Tyler to tell her mother that after summer school, she was going to be hanging out with some girlfriends. And it would have worked like all the other times before. But at Matt's house... Tyler's cell phone service was really bad. So her mother had been trying to call her for hours. And finally, some text messages came through to Tyler's phone saying, where are you? Why haven't you called me back? So Tyler calls her mom back and she has to admit where she is because her mother's looking for her, like driving around looking for her. So she says, I'm at Matt's house. Joanne knew this was the boy that helped Stephen move out of her house. So she correctly assumed that Stephen was there. 
So instead of going to pick up her daughter, she makes a power move and she calls the El Dorado County Sheriff's Department and reports her 14-year-old daughter missing. And she says that she has most likely run away with her 19-year-old boyfriend with whom she's having a sexual relationship with. Wow. Okay. She, yeah. They called her bluff. Yeah. And she did what she said she, she was going to do. She pulled the trigger. Yep. Yep. So a deputy showed up at Matt's house to take her home. While he was driving her home, he questioned her about her relationship with Stephen Culver. She denied ever having a sexual relationship with him of any kind. And when she was asked about her mother walking in on her, you know, naked with Stephen, Tyler said that that had been a misunderstanding, that she was trying on a dress in another room because she had found her in another room. The sheriff's deputies also contacted Stephen and they questioned him about the relationship that he had with Tyler as well. His story was identical to Tyler's. Just very close friends, brother and sister. They would never do that. This is so weird. I don't like how they're using this title of brother and sister. I I don't like it. It's freaking me out a little. But it goes to that story. Right, exactly. That day, Tyler was brought back to her mother's house. The two had a very tense dinner together. Obviously, the police told Joanne that the teens were denying their relationship. And other than her walking in on them, there was no other proof. So there was nothing they could really do. But Joanne was adamant to prove that she was telling the truth now because they had kind of made a fool. See, and that's why I'm sure there's some people in in one corner that would have said when they were caught naked together is the moment you should have called the police because now it's hard to backtrack. Yeah. It's easier to do it in that moment and just put an end to this. But it seems like the same thing might have been the outcome. Yeah, that's true too. So in the middle of the night, Joanne is going to go into Tyler's room and ask for her cell phone. Tyler doesn't want to give her her cell phone, most likely because she's been talking to and texting Stephen. So she starts yelling at her, which causes Joanne to yell back. Joanne left Tyler's room in what we call in New Jersey like a huff out. Like she just storms out and slams the door. Okay. And Tyler starts throwing things from her room into the hallway. So Joanne told her, if you don't stop, I'm going to call the police. But Tyler kept throwing things and breaking things like out of her room into the hallway. She then attempted to leave the house. Tyler wanted to leave the house, but her mother stops her because she was scared she was going to run away again. Tyler has a history of running away. In return, Tyler picks up the phone and calls the police herself. She pretends to be her mother and said, my daughter's hitting me. You have to come get get her. So the sheriff's department shows up. And that night, Tyler is taken to a juvenile detention center. And that's because Joanne has scratches on her face from Tyler hitting her. Okay. While she was being questioned, she did state that she said to her mother at one point during the argument, get out of my room or I'm going to run away. I'll kill you. I'll hurt you. Leave me alone. You don't want to hear that from your child. Uh, No, I'm sure that's devastating. Yeah. 
Tyler had been released from the detention center 12 hours later. Joanne had picked her up. They both apologized to each other, but were barely on speaking terms. Later, Tyler is going to call Stephen about what happened. He told her to calm down. He was frustrated too, but what could they do? And actually, at this point, Stephen's going to get quite scared. It seemed that the visit from the sheriff's deputy really spooked him, and he told Tyler that he really didn't think they should be talking. Okay, so finally he's realizing... He's like, I, yeah, my life could be ruined here. I should probably stop doing what I'm doing. Yes. <laughs> and Tyler's furious at this. Uh-oh. So I have some of the messages that she sent to him during this time. No, you don't. I do. Yes! Okay. Do you think it's that terrible that I want to be with you? Can you really stand there acting like my fucking father and tell me that I have to be a big girl and not see or talk to you? And if I want to see you because I miss you and love you and I feel like the loneliest I've ever felt, then you get on your fucking high horse and tell me it's wrong. Don't tell me that loving you is wrong. This is so weird. But, you know, what? it shows that she's 14. She's 14. This is 14-year-old subject matter here. Correct. She went on to say that she needed him, and without him, she would be reduced to tears, faint, hyperventilate, and she even mentioned dying of suicide. She knows that's going to get his attention, which is also a form of an abusive relationship, too. Like, this relationship is just toxic. It is toxic, and it shouldn't be happening. Eventually, Stephen is going to give in when she starts mentioning dying of suicide. Reflecting in his journal, he says, I would travel through the pits of hell and take the life of another to have her. I want your opinion on something. Yes. Do you find it weird that just everyone has a journal? I did find it interesting that they both had a journal, but I think it speaks to the... the... Oh, they're so poetic? Yes. Ugh. Yes. Like, that's who they, they believed they had... They believe they a are. message and inner feelings and emotions and they had depth to them that needed to be expressed. And that no one else had. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Okay. I know I asked you the question and then answered it, but I'm just, it's okay. I, I had a feeling that that's where you were going. I'm sorry. And, you know, even though at one point Steven said he couldn't see her, as time went on, they started seeing each other again. They got comfortable again. And because... The sheriff's deputies had spoken to them and nothing happened for weeks. They felt as if they were safe to start resuming their relationship again. So they start having sex again. All the while, Joanne had a sneaking suspicion that something was still going on between her daughter and Stephen. But she couldn't find a way to prove it. That is, until early June when she made a fateful discovery. See, now you mentioned it, but it's good that they were keeping journals and diaries because Joanne finds Tyler's diary. No. Yes. <laughs> you don't want to read that. I promise. Oh, no. I promise you don't want to read that. No. She, that's probably the worst thing that she ever read. The diary was a pretty rough find for Joanne. In multiple entries, Tyler wrote about how much she hated her mother. She couldn't stand being in her presence. She hoped she would die. She didn't care how. She just wanted her to leave her the fuck alone. 
There was even an entry where the 14-year-old girl fantasized about her mother being killed in a car accident, which allowed her to go on living happily with Stephen in the home. I mean, that is really sick. It's disgusting. I mean, listen, I know you know that your daughter doesn't like you, but to hear that she wants you to die is a whole other level. I think her hope is this. I'm going through a rough time with my daughter, but we will get over it. And one day we will be friends when she's an adult and she better understands what she's going through right now is just her being a teenager. I mean, I do think it was a lot deeper with Tyler and I think she did need to speak to a therapist about many of the problems that she had. Um, but this kind of like sealed the deal for Joanne of like, I think it's deeper than that. Yeah, I do too. I, I mean, that's, that's what it sounds like. Yeah. I mean, ugh. but the hardest thing to read was the very, very detailed account of Tyler's sex life with Steven. She wrote about sexual positions they were in and the fact that they never used birth control. And now this is, you know, she has the proof that she needs that the couple was sleeping together. Right. I mean, the diary pretty much explains it all. So here Joanne found herself in a bit of a conundrum. She wanted to give the diary to police. But she was also ashamed to show it to anyone because not only would it exploit her daughter, but it would also reveal how her daughter felt about her. Yeah. I mean, I guess that is difficult, but I mean, I mean, you have to show this to police. I mean, if you don't, then you're really not protecting your daughter then now. I don't know. It's true. This, it's just, it's, yeah. She just feels like it's exploitative. Well, it is. But it's just I we're we're going in this crazy roller coaster ride, you know. We're having these ups and downs of what she should do, and it's like sometimes I could see her doing one thing, and then another time I could see her. It's it's so difficult. It's hard because you don't know what you would do if you were in the same situation. I have no clue. Well, Joanne's gonna figure that you know she was gonna call the sheriff's department one more time, and have them question the two, and if her daughter and Stephen lied again about their relationship, she would have no choice but to hand in the diary. Well, they did lie again. When they were questioned a second time, um, both Tyler and Stephen's responses were at the ready. No sex, just friends. It was then that Joanne handed her daughter's diary into law enforcement. Joanne also gave them... Guys, I'm sorry. Um, She gave them a towel that she had found in Stephen's bed that she believed would show DNA proof that the two of them had been sleeping together. Stop it. I'm sorry. And I can assure you that for the first time in five years, I didn't do a deep dive to find out what that was about. I'm just letting that one go. I hope yeah. you can forgive me, everyone. I think they could put, put it together. Yeah, I think we got it. Okay. So she had handed in the diary and the towel while Tyler was in summer school. And when she picked her up from summer school, she told her what she'd done. Tyler reacted quite physically, crying herself into hysterics and hyperventilating. She knew that everything was in that diary, and if police had it, it was over for Stephen. The following day, June 11th, when Joanne was at work, Stephen went over to Tyler's house. Joanne didn't know this, but Stephen had a copy of the key to her front door. 
He opened it and Tyler was sleeping on the couch. He woke her up and the two began having a discussion about what they were going to do next. However, the conversation went very differently depending on whose perspective you were hearing it from. The book that I reference in our show notes gives insight into Tyler's perspective. We made our way into the office. We had already talked about it before, thinking about the Romeo and Juliet scenario, right? This is again them living in a fantasy world. It was only the last resort. It had to be absolutely the last resort. Romeo and Juliet had lived as star-crossed lovers, and we compared ourselves to them because of the situation that we were in, of me being so much younger than him, that this was a very, very big issue when it came to dating, and we would always make teasing jokes about it, saying we hope we didn't end up like Romeo and Juliet. They both died by suicide together. And I brought it up and said, it's the last resort. You know that if you go away, I'm going to be able to go with you. Either my body is just going to shut down because of the stress it's causing, or I'm going to die by suicide. And we both agreed we would die by suicide together. I mean, this is crazy that she is hyper romanticizing their relationship and romanticizing the idea of suicide. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that this isn't the first time, I'm sure. I mean, I, I, I'm sure at this level, yes, but I think that that this might have crossed her mind because she seems very, I don't want to say unstable, but I think there's a lot of things that are going on in her life that she doesn't know how to handle. She really needed to be seeing a therapist. Yeah, yeah. Now, Stephen's perspective of this was different. He stated, I told her we would figure something out concerning Joanne having called the police and giving them the diary. Tyler said we should pull the Romeo and Juliet routine and die by suicide. There had been discussions about this before, maybe over a three or four week period. We started discussing how we would do this. Tyler explained that we couldn't get a gun and I conceded. There wasn't enough time. I didn't have access to a gun. I told her about a mixture I had learned about. And then he goes on to explain what the mixture is. Tyler was pushing for us to die by suicide more than I was. I said it was a last resort, but she said we were in the last resort. We talked about where we would do this. And she said she wanted to do it on Monday because of its relevancy to when we had started dating. It would have been their four-month anniversary. Uh, it just shows how young yes, she is. Yes. Um, and the fact that he doesn't want to do it, too, just shows that, like, he's just using her. And, you know, really, though. Well, that he, I think, because he's older. This is why a 14-year-old shouldn't date a 19-year-old. Yes. Because he understands that this is not... This like, is not forever. This is the beginning. The beginning for her, the beginning, you know, pretty much is still the beginning for him, too. Oh, yeah. Like, this is ridiculous. Now, just to give you a time frame here, we're talking about June 11th. Remember, Joanne's body was found on June 15th, Monday. So this is the Thursday, and she was killed in the early morning hours of Friday. So this is the night that Joanne dies. When they're having this conversation in the office. Oh, 
Okay. So this is the day that she's going to be murdered. Tyler says there's one issue with their plan. So Stephen goes on to explain that Tyler said she didn't want to die by suicide in El Dorado Hills. She wanted to go to San Francisco. Okay. What's in San Francisco? It's just where she wanted to go. Oh, okay. But there was one issue with the plan. If they were to leave on Saturday and not die by suicide until Monday, their four-month anniversary, they would have to leave unnoticed. And that would be impossible with Joanne alive because she would undoubtedly report Tyler missing and correctly assume she was with Stephen. When they go to look for Stephen and notice he's missing too, they would start looking for them and the police might find them before they're able to go through with what they're planning on doing. So during this time, and we'll get into it later, somehow it gets brought up that Joanne has to be murdered. This is unbelievable. Yeah. Now, the plan initially was that Joanne was to be murdered on Saturday, that they were going to leave on Saturday. Stephen says, okay. He leaves and he goes to go to work. Later that night, this is Thursday, June 11th, Joanne comes home from work and she apologizes to her daughter. Isn't this, this is just so tragic. She said she knew what she did was a huge invasion of her privacy, but she loved her and she did it to protect her. She wanted to make up with her and she wanted to move on. She offered that night, she said, I'll go get you ice cream, candy. We could watch a movie together. And Tyler didn't respond to her mother, knowing that she had just planned her murder. Wow, that is extremely callous. Yeah. And and just so sickening, too. You know, it's hard when, I don't know about you, but this always pulls on my heartstrings. When you have a parent that's actively trying to get better and tries everything to initiate that, and it's completely shot down, yeah. it makes some you it makes you really sad. Yeah, that. yeah, because people don't get that. There's some kids out there that never has, you know, they've never even what maybe they didn't know their parent or their parent. They would do yeah. anything to anything. have a parent try to reach out to them. Like and that. the fact that she's doing that. Ugh. So later that night, Tyler's going to call Stephen. And she has to call him multiple times because he's at work. She said that her mother was passed out and she was angry because Joanne had been drinking again. You know, this is the alcoholic uh, narrative that she's pushing. She said Joanne had fallen asleep in her bedroom and beside her was an alcoholic drink. Tyler told Stephen that her mother was a drunk. Of course, this is from her perspective. And that she feels betrayed because her mother agreed to stop drinking if Tyler would stop smoking cigarettes. But here she was drinking. First of all, honey, you're 14 years old. You shouldn't be chain smoking cigarettes. She wasn't being honest. This is what Tyler was mad about. My mom's not being honest. You're, you are the one who's been, wait, what? You said your boyfriend was gay so he could live with you guys. You're having sex under your mom's roof and then you continue to see him. And then you're plotting her murder. And you're mad that she poured a drink because she's dealing with all this? Man, I'd pour a drink too. I would pour a whole bottle. Sure. So she says to Stephen, 
what if she doesn't have a drink Saturday? Because they wanted her to be drunk when they killed her. Because it would be easier to kill her if she was drunk because she would be a little bit more incapacitated. She's saying, we know she's drunk tonight. Let's just do it tonight. Tyler said this. Yes, to Steven. Okay. So, so she's, she's just saying, really trying to push this timeline She's along. saying, let's move this up. Let's yeah. move this up. She's very adamant that she wants to do it that night. And she told him that what she was going to do was to ensure that she stays incapacitated. She would crush up Vicodin and put it in her drink. So if she woke up and took another drink, she would pass out even more. Jeez. And, you know, Stephen is going to go through with this plan with her. After she got off the phone with him, Tyler goes downstairs and goes to look for her mother's Vicodin, but she couldn't find it anywhere. She then started looking for her mother's antidepressant medication, but the bottle was empty. Finally, she found vitamins and she crushed them up and put them in her drink. Vitamins. Vitamins. Okay. That she's 14 years old. I mean, the most. It shows. Yeah. I mean, the most that's going to happen there is she might get a little toxic, you know, toxic poisoning from all the vitamins. Or, right. I don't but know it's what not going to incapacitate her. No, no, no. <laughs> she then called Stephen and told him that he would have to wait because her mother woke up. 40 minutes later, she called Stephen, who was now out of work, and said, she's asleep now. You can come over. Stephen parked where he usually did uh, when he would sneak around to Tyler's house, which was in the elementary school parking lot behind the house of Tyler and Joanne. Tyler and Joanne live in a gated community. So when you want to get into the gated community, you have to put in the, the house code. Every time a house code is used, the owner is notified. So that's why Stephen couldn't enter the community. So he had to park at the elementary school behind the gated community, and he would climb the fence to sneak in. And this was the fence behind Tyler and Joanne's house. So that's how he would get in. So that's what he does. And, well, first he's waiting in the parking lot. So the... The plan was for him to drive to the elementary school parking lot and wait for Tyler to call him again. He's wait, He waits about 40 minutes. Finally, he gets a call from Tyler telling him, okay, come in. She said that they were both on edge at this point. They spoke briefly about going upstairs and doing it. And that was when Stephen showed her that he had a knife. Um, this was a knife from the restaurant he worked at. And he took it out of a plastic bag. They walked quietly back into the house. She led him up the stairs and into her mother's bedroom. Tyler then waited outside. She told him she didn't want to watch. She crouched down on the floor and sat against the wall of the hallway. She kept waiting to hear something, but she heard nothing. So she got up to see what was going on. She said she saw Stephen standing over her mother practicing where he was going to put the blade and at what angle. She said she got scared and went back to her original position, where she now put her hands over her ears so she couldn't hear. But even over her humming, she heard her mother begging for Stephen to stop. Eventually, Stephen came out of the room, 
still holding the knife. She got up and hugged him. Blood now covered the both of them. And she told him everything was going to be okay now. And those are Tyler's versions of events from that night. As you can imagine, Stevens are very different. According to the book, um, now I can tell you it's called Star-Crossed Killers, he said, When Tyler flung open the door of the house, she was holding a kitchen knife in her hand. There was a red stain on her right pant leg. I was shocked. I didn't know what to expect, but because she wasn't coming at me in an aggressive or attacking manner, I just stopped and waited to see what she was going to do or say. I asked her what happened. She said, Boston, I did it. I finally did it. My mom is gone forever. She was upset and panicking. She was very distraught. She was in my arms and I pulled her aside and I saw specifically that there was blood on the knife then. I took the knife out of her hand and led her back inside. This was not a discussion that you should have outside in the middle of the night. I recognized the knife. It was a chef's knife from the kitchen block. We walked back inside the house, and when we were standing between the kitchen and living room, I asked her, What the hell have you done? She said, I did the only thing I could do. She tried explaining about how the cops would come and I would go to prison. She collapsed in my arms, saying that she did it for us. I was just trying to think why. I wanted to get out of this house, and I told her we needed to leave. She said she needed to grab some stuff, so I followed her up the stairs. Uh, this is crazy. You know, regardless of either account, I mean, they're both pretty insane. Yes. I feel so bad for this mom. Like, no one deserves that, period. But, like, to just know everything that leads up to that, that's really upsetting. It's terrible. And I just, I, she really wanted the best for her daughter and she was struggling and she was even trying to be understanding of this other kid's life and for them to so callously do this to her. And it's just, it's very sad. So now we, so now we have the two version of events Again, differently from different perspectives. So in Tyler's version, she said, I went into my room and got my bag that had clothing and some other stuff in it. I told Boston not to touch anything. Before I went downstairs, I told him to wait and that I was going to close the windows and the blinds and turn on the air conditioning. I went back to the room. He held up a SpongeBob blanket so that I couldn't see my mother. And he kind of draped it over her. Then we went downstairs and I got another one of my bags. I looked for any alcohol that might be left in the house. It was locked up. So that's okay. This shows that she does. She has zero remorse. Because from her perspective, she's saying her boyfriend killed her mother. And before you leave the house, you think, let me shut the windows and blinds so no one can see her or nobody could smell anything because that's what she's thinking and you're like let me go get alcohol zero remorse oh yeah i mean i mean it's so callous it is and honestly she would i mean she's alluded to it i mean now she could live her life with air quotes here because her mom's out of the picture 
Right. There's no remorse there, period. So she continues. So we went out through the garage door and I let him out. Then I closed it and locked it from the inside and I went out the doggy door. And the way Stephen told it, she was dictating to him everything that needed to be done so they could leave the house. From there, they went to Stephen's dad's house, which was unoccupied at the time because he was selling it and he was living in another house, although he did go back and forth between the houses all the time. There, they burnt the clothes that they had been wearing in um, a fireplace. And later, Stephen's dad is going to admit that fireplace hadn't been used for a year and a half. Then they took a shower together to clean off the blood. Tyler slept at the house, but Stephen said he was going to stay up in case his father stopped by. Um, So, like, he had to stay vigilant because they weren't allowed to see each other, obviously. The next morning, they drove around to random places, but then decided that maybe they should move Joanne's car because you could see it from the garage. When they heard sirens just as they were about to walk to the house, they decided that maybe it was a bad idea and they chose not to move Joanne's car. From there, the couple went to Home Depot to get rat poisoning, the Dollar Tree to get ramen noodles, Safeway to get hair dye, and Sports Authority to get new biking gloves for Stephen. You know, he usually wore the black leather gloves, but he had to burn them, so he wanted a new pair. But not before stopping at Starbucks to get a drink for Tyler, because that's how she wanted to start the day. They felt like going to their friend Matt's house next. Um, they thought it would be comforting. So it's there that they dyed their hair in the sink. And Stephen is going to say goodbye to Matt. He explained that him and Tyler were going to go to San Francisco and that they were going to die by suicide. And his friend is, is like, why? What are you doing? Matt has always been a big advocate to Stephen that he should not be with Tyler, that it was going to destroy his life and stop his aspirations of becoming a teacher. So he's like, why are you doing this? And um, he said, you know, I can't really tell you right now. And it's better that you don't know. And then from there, the three are going to go to their dealer and they're going to buy a lot of pot, cocaine and ecstasy. Because they want to take it with them on their trip. Jeez. <clears throat> and, and to do this with rat poison? That's a horrible way to go. It's a horrible death. Yeah, the... You know, I don't want to, like, get into, like, what they what the concoction was. But it was part of this concoction that he had found on the internet. And that's why they oh. were trying to get the alcohol. And they oh, were trying okay. to... So, that's what they were trying to do. So, after they got drugs, they take them back to Stephen's dad's house. And after Matt did a line of cocaine, they sat him down and they told him what happened. And this was Tyler's idea. Tyler felt like Matt was their really good friend and that he has the right to know what they did and why they were dying by suicide. So Stephen thought that Matt wasn't going to believe them. So he went out to his car and got the knife they used. What? They still had it. Oh, my God. So it was in a towel, in a plastic bag. So he pulls it out and, you know, they tell Matt what happened. And according to them, they said that Stephen was the one who had killed Joanne. And to say the least, Matt was very freaked out. 
Stephen told the story. He said he'd been the one to do it. He had slit her throat and stabbed her in the neck and stomach. That's going to be very important. So Matt would later say that the knife looked like just a regular butcher's knife, silver with a black handle. Because remember, now we have two sides of the story, right? Tyler said Stephen showed up with a knife from work. Stephen said Tyler took a knife out of the kitchen block. So whatever knife is the murder weapon will prove who the killer is. Right, because one said he got it from the job and one said that he got it out of the block at home. Correct. So if they could just get from Matt which knife it was, they'd be able to later know who the killer was. But Matt just, Matt was so shocked and all he knew was it was a butcher's knife. I can't tell you specifications because I was staring at the blood on it. Yeah, I, th- I think that that would be a lot of people's reaction. Like, he was like, what Am I the next? Hell? Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So then Stephen's dad is going to arrive at the home with his girlfriends and her daughter. And the teenagers are just, like, in the nick of time able to put all the drugs and the knife away. Imagine walking in on that scene. I'd probably, like, walk out. <laughs> I'd be like, okay, <laughs> never mind. Yeah, I'll talk to you guys later. I don't bye. have bagels for everybody. <laughs> nope. So at this point, Matt is going to be asked to be dropped off at his house. And Tyler and Steven, from there, drive around, listen to music, and do drugs. Before they left for San Francisco, because now, you know, they can leave a little bit earlier, um, they stop by Matt's house and they say goodbye to him. He probably was extremely relieved. Actually, no, because Matt still loved Stephen and he wanted to help him and he didn't want Stephen to go to San Francisco because that meant that he was going to die by suicide. So he was trying to convince his parents to let Stephen sleep over. But they had somewhere Uh, to go the next day so they said no. He was trying to get his friend not to leave because he knew what that meant if he left. I mean, I guess it's just like they must have had a really strong bond. I mean, I would just feel very weird that I have a killer in my midst and I, you know, in my midst and I wouldn't want anything um, to happen yeah, to me. Yeah, I would be nervous about sleeping right. in the same room as the two of them. Right. I mean, he, they've told nobody except him. Right. So I would be very on guard here. Yeah, I would be too. So that's why I meant by I, I would feel relieved if that was me. I would not ask for a sleepover. Right. Yeah. Right. So once they made it to San Francisco, the couple, after wandering aimlessly for a bit, went back to their hotel room to write their goodbye letters. Tyler only wrote to her mother. She said, you made me a whore to the man I loved. Now I never have to come home to your disgusting heart. The letter was short. Stephen was the one who was writing to his friend Matt, his cousin, and other family members. Because he was still writing... And Tyler was acting bizarrely because she had taken all three of the drugs that they had with them. Marijuana, ecstasy, cocaine would make you act weird altogether, I would say. Um, So he said, why don't you write a story while I'm writing to my family members? And she did. Do you want to know what that story was about? I would love to know. It ended up being a seven page story. Okay. Seven pages. It was set in medieval times, and the main character was a 19-year-old boy who met a beautiful, smart 14-year-old girl. 
They started as best friends, brother and sister, you might say. But as the boy learned about the abusive life the girl had to live with her drunken and terrifying mother, he promised to protect her and grew to fall in love with her. The story goes on to be completely parallel to their lives. He convinces his father to move into the girl's house, but the girl's mother caught them being intimate and kicked them out. However, they still saw each other, which made the mother angry, and she promised to go to the authorities with the diary that she had found that the girl wrote about their forbidden love. This is a very unoriginal story. I mean, it's pretty much just a retelling of what you've done. Yeah. And here is a piece of the story from the book, Star-Crossed Killers. This is when their dreams shattered. This is when their hopes vanished. And that is when the man, this 19-year-old man, became a killer. Late one night, the mother was drunk as usual. Before she finished her last drink, the girl spiked her mother's whiskey with herbs from the forest. Herbs that would make her sleep. Remember, this is medieval times. You should see John's face. At around one in the morning, the girl snuck the boy into her house, leading this 19-year-old man to her mother's room. He stabbed her in her sleep, killing her, freeing themselves. She titled her story, The Killer and the Raven. Wow, that's like they're like, you know, Edgar Allan Poe. Wow. They're like so, like... It's so deep, dude. Yeah. Right, <laughs> she does mention he's a 19-year-old man twice in one paragraph. Yeah, well, you know, 14 years old, you know? We're not all writers. No. So the story concludes with a couple being hunted, but then them dying of suicide at an inn, which they're in a hotel right now. Once she finished with the story, she mailed it with all of the goodbye letters they wrote. They then went to an internet cafe so Tyler could check her MySpace account. There she found out that people had begun to know what they did because Matt was telling them. Oh, so Matt... Matt's telling people what they did. Oh my God. Yes. Someone had posted something. I'm not going to say who this person is because it's like an outside kind of peripheral character. Um... He mentioned something about being on the run in California, and this is one of Stephen's friends, and Tyler commented that she knew what that was like. Her and Stephen were on the run. And then this kid comments back, mind you, this is happening over MySpace. The kid comments back, you sicken me beyond belief. The communication between Tyler and this boy is going to go back and forth. But he was accusing her of getting Stephen in this situation and saying that she had to have been the one to do it because Stephen would never do that. And Tyler's denying it all. She's saying, I'm free, but I loved my mom. I never would have been the one to do it. But then she comments on her page, like kind of like a status kind of thing she writes on her wall. I had nothing to do with it. Neither did Boston. Like this is all happening all over my space. Okay, so if Boston and and her didn't do it, then who did? You know what I mean? Exactly. No one had motive here at all through during this whole entire thing. Right, and that's pretty obvious. Yeah, it is. But they are free, if you think about it, to do what they're doing because we know 
that Joanne's body doesn't get discovered until Monday. Yes. Which was what they had planned, unfortunately. It's so weird. So that brings us to Monday, when the couple was supposed to die by suicide. But they did not. Everything they tried, they later recalled, did not work. They had tried to put rat poison pellets into a red velvet cake. But Tyler got a stomach ache and Stephen didn't feel anything. They weren't, they didn't, they weren't eating enough. They just put like a pellet in. Wow. Um, the razors that they had were dull, but they tried them and they said, you know, they hadn't been prepared for the pain of it. So they didn't use the razors. Um, Steven suggested maybe them jumping from the building because they were on the 27th floor of their hotel. And Tyler said she was scared of heights. So they couldn't jump from a building or bridge. So they decided they would just starve themselves to death. So they packed their things and they got on a subway train headed south. They could no longer travel by car because Stephen's car had been towed because it was parked illegally. The couple just wandered and wandered. They arrived at a small town named Colma, which has three large cemeteries. It was there, according to Stephen, that he told Tyler, no matter what, he would take responsibility for it all. That's interesting. Because he, I, I don't see him being the type to take the fall for her. I don't know. I feel like I could see it being the other way around. No, I think she's trying to distance herself right away. No, I know that. Especially from what she posted on yeah. MySpace. No, I know that. But I'm just trying to say, like, I would think that because she was so in love with him that she would take the fall. Oh, no. But I guess not. This is so weird. From there, the couple is going to walk to Dale City. They really had no direction. They were just wandering, but they weren't eating because they thought they were going to starve to death. After the discovery of Joanne's body that day, the day they get to Dale City, an APB is going to be put out for both Tyler Witt and Stephen Culver. Because right away, there's nobody else has motive for this, and they're both missing. Um, they also know, like, Stephen got a text from one of his friends at work because Stephen didn't show up for work, and he's the manager. And Stephen texts him back and says, I'm, I'm never coming back. So that's what oh. police know. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, okay. I guess we'll figure something out for your 3 p.m. shift. <laughs> so they are found on Wednesday, June 17th, 2009 in San Bruno. An off-duty police officer spotted them and took them in. And quite frankly, it was obvious that the couple had been responsible for the murder of Joanne Witt. And after their first arraignment was over, the media grabbed hold of this story the Romeo and Juliet lovers to be tried as adults for the first degree murder of Joanne Witt. But now the question is who actually killed Joanne and what is the level of culpability here for the other party? I can see how this can get very, very dicey. Oh, very much so. And this was a little too much pressure for Tyler. The fairy tale very quickly fell apart, and she took a plea deal at the advice of her lawyers. Of course. She just had to testify against Stephen during the trial, 
agree to murder in the first degree, which would eventually be lessened to second degree murder. And she would have to waive all rights of appeal after her sentencing. And the agree would be basically for her to get 15 to life. See, that is insane to me because, I mean, I understand she's 14 years old, but she'll get out and she'll still be able to live her life. If she gets that first appeal. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and then he's he's just, he got suckered. Well, wait till you hear, but hold on. I'm not even Oh, it done. gets worse? John, the oh. trial is insane. Okay. So Stephen, along with his attorney, is going to claim that it was not him. Tyler had been the one to say and write multiple times that she wanted her mother dead or to kill her. And then the way he explained the murder to Matt was wrong. He said he stabbed Joanne in the stomach. In reality, Joanne had never been stabbed um, below her upper arm. She was never stabbed in the stomach. Right, so he's just making up because he didn't do it. That's what the defense lawyer is saying. Which makes sense. Right. Especially if there's no evidence of any wounds anywhere mm-hmm. on her stomach. But on the other hand, it hurts that Stephen told Matt that he had been the one to do it. And in that seven-page story, The Killer and the Raven, which so closely followed what really happened, Stephen had been the murderer. Right, but that's a story. That she wrote. Right, that she wrote. But we don't know. And we cannot determine, because they had gotten rid of the knife, where that knife is from. But there was a knife missing from the butcher block of the house. And the Mexican restaurant... They couldn't say whether or not they were missing a butcher knife because they had so many. Yeah. You know what's interesting, though? Uh, when we were first talking about the body, uh, when we, when they found her body, yeah, she was stabbed all over the place. And it's kind of it kind of is like the other case we did on Patreon just recently. When you have a body, when you have a victim that has been stabbed multiple times, multiple areas all over, that's, that is a, like a fury attack. Correct. You are trying to kill. You are... You know, you have such deep hatred for this person. That is something that I could see the daughter doing. Especially in her face. Right. And her neck. Yes. Like, like she's so angry at her. Right. Who's angry here? She Tyler. is. Tyler is. Yes. Right. Not. I mean, I'm sure he might be a little upset over this whole thing, but like, whatever. Like, that doesn't fit what happened. He's never shown a rage. No, but she has. Or an anger. But Tyler has. Right. So, the defense is also going to say that the crime scene had been compromised and not tested well for DNA, other than that of Joanne's, especially blood. Like, if Tyler's blood is at that scene, then that means that she could have been cut by the knife. They never did extensive DNA testing. But the highlights of the trial came from the testimony of the couple's friend, Matt, who had been told about the murder. And then the testimony of Tyler herself. Okay, so I'm going to go through the two tra- the two testimonies. Okay. On the stand, Matt was questioned about their demeanors that day. He said that Stephen was quiet and withdrawn, that he could tell that he was very upset. But Tyler was completely fine, happy almost. He said that he couldn't tell where the knife was from, He just knew it was a butcher knife that had blood all over it. And he also admitted that 
the lie that Tyler and Steven had told Joanne to make her okay with him moving in wasn't entirely untrue. And this is why he cared about Steven so much because the two of them had had a romantic relationship for a few months before he met Tyler. Okay. So the two of them had a relationship. They amicably broke up and remained friends, but he really did care about Steven. Between the testimony of Matt and Tyler were the police officers who had gone through the hotel room that the couple had abandoned in San Francisco. And he just explained the scene for the jury. In the room, there was a half-eaten red velvet cake with rat poison pellets pushed into it, drug paraphernalia, a Donnie Darko DVD, and a note written by Tyler saying that she hates her mother and hopes she never forgets that and that she wishes to be buried with Stephen. And then Tyler takes the stand. When Tyler got on the stand, she was calm, cool, and collected. She said that night she was not totally into killing her mother. She claimed the plan was for them to leave that night. So she put vitamins in her mother's drink so she wouldn't wake up, which still doesn't make sense. But Stephen had showed up with a 10-inch butcher knife. She knew the plan was then to kill her. So she said she also got a knife from the kitchen block. But once she got to the door frame of her mother's room, she couldn't do it. So she slumped down against the wall in the hallway, covered her ears, and hummed loudly to try and drown out the noise. But once she heard her mother yell out. When Stephen came out, he had been covered in blood. She said that initially she had been lying to police. But since detained, she had been reading the Bible. And in the passages she read, she kept seeing that being a false witness is an abomination to God. Therefore, she now had to tell the truth. She did still love him and didn't want him punished, but she needed to tell the truth. But the cross-examination was wild. Because here brings in another factor that I didn't want to tell you until now. You held something back from me? Oh, I did. Tyler was claiming to suffer from disassociative identity disorder. In addition to herself, she had two other personalities living inside of her body. At first, Stephen's lawyer starts it off easy, asking Tyler about all the things that troubled her throughout her years. Her anger issues, the fact that she had run away from home more than five times since she was in fourth grade, and the fact that she had a self-harming habit, as well as a habit to bite her wrists when she fought with her mother. And on the stand, Tyler explained that she had once watched an episode of CSI with her mother where a man bit his wrists to die by suicide. So whenever her mother would yell at her, she would emulate that and just gnawed her wrist. That is so weird. But can we actually prove that this dissociative personality is real like Uh, like within her very difficult to i feel like that can never be truly proven and most psychologists don't even agree that it's a real thing so hold on okay now if that wasn't enough for the jury to absorb the wrist stuff um the attorney just blatantly throws it out there like in the middle of a normal questioning he just goes 
who's Toby? And she kind of like is taken aback by this because she didn't think that Stephen was going to tell. Like she was thinking, oh, I can tell on Stephen, but Stephen's so in love with me and so loyal to me that he'll never say anything. And boom, he's like, no, this girl is saying there's two other people inside of her. And it gets crazy. So she is taken aback. And apparently the entire time that this has been going on, Tyler has told Stephen that she has two other entities living in her body. Toby, who she said was a demon from hell, and Alex, who's an angel. On the stand, Tyler said that Toby was a personality within her who she can talk to and came out sometimes when she was distressed. Tyler went on to explain that she would, when she would cry or hyperventilate, something we know she does quite often, sometimes she would black out and when she would wake up, she would see that Toby had, quote unquote, dealt with the situation, which sometimes meant cutting herself or causing damage to like property or her room or something. Um, so she said she had three souls living within her body, but when she was with Steven, they were all one because he brought peace to her life. This is what she told okay. Steven. So this is pretty much her plea for, and it's, well, this is her insanity plea. No, she wasn't going to mention this. This was a part of her, I'm not a psychologist here, but I think this was another part of this romanticized fantasy of him coming in and saving her. Okay. Because she explains that he has calmed her demon inside of her. I wonder if that was part of the anime. I can't speak on it because I've yes, never, yes, I've never I seen it. I believe it but. was. I also find like when I, when she said like there's somebody Toby inside of me, I my thoughts immediately went to The Shining and to Tony, but then also to like Death Note in a way. Okay. Yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Like just something there that takes care of things for her. I don't mm, know. Yeah. You know I mean, I'm, like I said, I, I, you know, now maybe now I have to pick this up just to see what it's all about me to understand more about her, maybe just to get like a better idea. Cause I think she's just pulling from what she enjoyed. I think she wanted like the way she explained it was that, well, she was asked, did these personalities fall in love with Steven? Do they feel the same way about him that you did? And she said, Toby loved Steven. Toby has a, uh, what she says, a devil may care attitude and doesn't feel human emotions. So Toby was annoyed that Stephen had disarmed her and made her fall in love with him because she was a demon. Tyler admitted Toby was very aggressive, especially if insulted. And Stephen's attorney was doing a really good job here, right? Um, and the whole time it was... Tyler says it was Toby when Stephen said I don't want to talk to you anymore we need to leave each other alone Tyler was calling him saying Toby's gonna kill me because sometimes she said she would black out and when she would wake up there would be self-harm marks I see so She's making, and I don't know to what degree Stephen believed this, but making him believe I might not even have control of the fact that I might hyperventilate to the point where Toby's going to take over and he might 
kill me or she might kill me. Do you see what I'm saying? Yes. It's very weird and complicated. And Stephen told his lawyer when we were in the office that day and we were talking about our pact, Toby came out in a different voice and he said this was the first time I met Toby, quote unquote, and it sounded like a demon and said, Joanne has to die. Okay, this just got creepy now. Yeah. Very weird. Very strange. Oh, my God. I'm actually getting chills a little bit because that's actually a really creepy fact of this. Very creepy. And he was like, what the hell? See, but uh, I don't know. If if she's making this up, then (laughs) she's got some serious issues that need to be worked out here. I would say yes. And and now let's take a step back and be like, oh, my God, what the heck's going on? This 14-year-old girl might be making this up. But Stephen's attorney is doing a good job because I'll make a few points about that. Because here he was trying to claim that his client did not kill Joanne Witt, that in fact Tyler did. And here she was on the stand stating that she had two other personalities, one of them a demon who would get upset when insulted and take over Tyler's body and when she was in a stressful situation, cause physical harm. And when this Toby would take over, Tyler didn't know what she was doing. In the past, having cut herself, causing physical harm, and still not waking up from this blackout state she said she was in. And Tyler admitted that Toby was very angry with what Joanne was doing and didn't want to stop seeing Stephen. And, you know, like even Stephen said, Toby wanted Joanne dead. So could Tyler have been in a hyper agitated state where Toby comes out and is the one who kills Joanne? Um, Because she didn't want to, this Toby, this demon, didn't want to go through with this suicide pact because it would mean she'd have to go back to hell. Because that's what Tyler said on the stand. Toby didn't want to go back to hell. Okay, I know it's very weird. It's very it's crazy to think that. But if this is true. It creates a reasonable doubt for the jury that Tyler is capable of blacking out and causing harm. And if the jury doesn't even want to believe that it's still creating reasonable doubt that this teenage girl is not mentally sound. And is dealing with a lot of psychological issues and may have been the one to do this. She has the the means to do it. She has the rage to do it. She has written about it. She has told people she wants her mother dead. So I don't think Stephen's lawyer was trying to prove that she has DID or prove that this Toby thing is real. I think the lawyer just wanted to create reasonable doubt as to look at my client Look at, look at Tyler Witt. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's the best defense they could have used again for Stephen. Absolutely. So after that, and it was a pretty intense trial. The trial ends on June fourteenth, two thousand eleven. The jury deliberated for one day, coming back with a verdict on the fifteenth. Stephen Culver was found guilty of first degree murder. With special circumstances, which include use of a deadly weapon, 
lying in wait because he waited for 40 minutes in the parking lot and killing a witness to a crime in reference to Joanne being a witness to the statutory rape of Tyler Witt. So I didn't even think about that. And I'm sure that they weren't even prepared for that, most no. likely. During the sentencing hearing of Stephen Culver and Tyler Witt, Norb Witt, Joanne's father and Tyler's grandfather, had the following to say. And I think this is the perfect way to kind of end this episode. There will never be justice for Joanne. She was a good mother who made Tyler the center of her life. Everybody loved Joanne except her daughter. Joanne had taken Tyler on cruises, camping trips, vacations to Boston, Chicago, Washington, D.C., Disneyland, Universal Studios, Hawaii, Mexico, and Jamaica. You, as he looked at his granddaughter, even flew around the country in a private plane with your mother and one of her friends. He went on to say that Tyler had every kind of electronic device imaginable, countless DVDs and CDs. Tyler had her own television, computer, keyboard, guitar, violin, and cell phone. You, meaning Tyler, could not accept your mother's rules. You are a murderer. You and your boyfriend planned and executed the murder of your mother. It was vicious, brutal, and senseless murder in your mother's bedroom. Hopefully when you are released, you can support yourself and make a contribution to society. That was from her grandfather. It was very well put. I mean, yeah. it really is true. It's she did everything for her daughter. And even though she made a couple mistakes along the way, she did everything to rectify that. And I think yes. that I think she made uh, she did well on that. I really do. You know, I mean, it's never good, you know, to do that. But she made she made amends, and to not get that acceptance back is just it's hard. Yeah. I'm sure it's really difficult. When a parent does something bad like that, you want it to go in this direction. You want it to go in this direction where the parent realizes they were wrong, they get educated enough to never do it again, and then they try to make up for it the rest of their child's life. That is what all parents who ever make a mistake like this should, should aspire to be and yeah and this is you know, to go in that direction you know to go in a positive direction Correct. i agree yeah so it's unfortunately the results and in the end stephen culver was sentenced to life without the possibility of parole and tyler was sentenced to 15 years to life both are still incarcerated but in a year tyler will be up for her first parole hearing I wonder how that's going to go. Yeah. She'll be 29. Yeah. I mean, see, but she'll get out. and she's... Well, maybe. We don't well, know. true. It could be 15 to life. So she could get denied and she cannot appeal. So that's why she's been in for the full time. And then at 15 years, she'll be eligible for parole. That was a good case. That was crazy, I right? enjoyed that a lot. It was good. No, I was like, how am I going to put in this Toby situation? <laughs> I mean, it's an interesting fold. I'll tell you that much. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Oh, all right. So before we go, we do want to thank our new supporters on Patreon, and we hope to see some more of you soon. So a big shout out and thank you to Katie Strelinger, Alyssa Sabi, Jamie Fedor, 
Genevieve Provnovist, Kate, Josie, Bree, Erica Davis, Liz McGinnis, Kelly Hamilton, Amanda Stock, Lauren Shirley, Beverly Gosling, Angela Lucas, Jennifer Anderson, Tracy Conrad, Yawning Lizard, Olivia Cannings, Tyler Doobie, Susie Koskella, Ian Manson, Kelly and Remy, Katie Ruthermel, Macy McClure, Thomas Naganuma, Allie Healy, Nicole Reed, Sarah Janice, Shoba Dandalea, Ivan Abrahantes, Natalie McLean, Jenny Gange, and Kathy Stroven. Thank you guys so much for joining Patreon. We hope you're enjoying the bonus two episodes. Please let us know if there's anything interesting you want to hear on a Patreon episode. And until next time, guys, don't park next to Vance. Bye. Bye, guys.